At this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids, and they can go to their class. Amen. I'll let them do that. I'm not going to do a song for uh, an altar song, an offering song, I'm sorry, but uh, I have a song that goes with my message this morning that's very, very fitting and very important to do uh, before I preach. And um, praise God. Love to see the kids go. I know they're getting excited. And uh, I know the leaders are getting excited and the Everyone's excited. We appreciate you this morning for your faithfulness and your giving. And uh, we welcome all of our visitors that are here this morning in the house of God. Thank you, Jesus. Let me just turn this thing up just a little bit here. Praise God. Amen. Um, I have a a song that uh, I'm going to minister this morning. I'm going to try with my voice. Ask God to help me. But it goes along, right along parallel with the message, you know, that I'm going to be preaching this morning. And uh, I pray you listen to the words and let it minister to you because there was a man that carried the cross when Jesus fell under the the the, the, the weight of it, and he carried the cross. Uh, his name was Simon. He was uh, a Cyrenian, and uh, that's what I'm going to be preaching this morning, the blessedness of of uh, bearing the cross. And so I pray that this, or taking up your cross, the blessedness of taking up your cross. And I know that this will minister to you. Let this song be a story. Let it tell a story this morning, and then you'll receive the word of God. Go ahead. Walking on the road to Jerusalem, the time had come to sacrifice again. My two small sons, they walk beside me on the road. The reason that they came was to watch the land. They said, Daddy, Daddy, what will we see? There's so much that we don't understand. So I told them of Moses and Father Abraham. Then I said, dear children, watch the land. Because there will be so many in Jerusalem today. We must be sure the land doesn't And I said, dear children, watch the land. When we reached the city, I knew something must be wrong. There were no joyful worshipers, no joyful worship songs. I stood there with my children in the midst of a And I heard the crowd cry out.
such anguish. In that moment, I felt such loss. Till a Roman soldier grabbed my arm and screamed, You carry his cross. At first, I tried to resist hand reached for his soul. So I knelt and took the cross from the Lord. Placed it on my shoulders and started down the street. The blood that he'd been shedding was running down my cheek. When we Golgotha they drove nails deep in his feet and hands a cross came down upon his back he said father forgive them oh never have I seen such love in any other eyes to the hand I could Spirit, he prayed, and then he died. I stood there for what seemed like years, lost all sense of time, till I felt two tiny hands holding tight to mine. My children stood there weeping. Heard the oldest saying, Father, please forgive them for the lamb ran away. 
so much that we don't understand. So I took them in my arms. We turned and faced the cross. And I said, dear children, watch the Mark 15. God wants to talk to us this morning. Please let Him. Please let Him. Mark 15, verse 20. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one, Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. I want you to remember this. The father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. Father, I thank you today and I'm grateful for the anointing of the Holy Ghost because God, that's what breaks every yoke. And Lord, sometimes it's a deep, deep internal thing almost every time that you're trying to do in our heart and our life. Let it be done today, I pray, as you minister this word. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. I'm preaching this thought, the blessedness of taking up the cross. may not seem like a Father's Day message, but we'll get there in just a minute. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, tells us about Simon the Cyrenian who was in Jerusalem celebrating the Jewish Passover. That was where Simon the Cyrenian was from, was about 1,400 miles, which was in Libya, Africa. And I did my math, and just approximate would have taken him 30 days to walk to Jerusalem. Maybe more, maybe if he walked faster, a little bit less, but that's a long time to walk. But he walked there, and the reason that I said that is because just like the Ethiopian eunuch that we preached a few weeks ago came from Ethiopia from a long distance, at least 1,500 miles or more, Simon the Cyrenian had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. You know, you got to be dedicated to God to do something like that. And God responds to our dedication. Do you hear me today? He responds to what we have set our heart to do. And Simon the Cyrenian had set his heart to be there for the Passover. And I believe that God let him have a revelation. In fact, I don't believe, I know he did. Let him have a revelation and an understanding and a, 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 that of the cross and what it meant and what it stood for. And 
you know, he brought Simon into a deeper understanding. God knows today our heart's desperate cry. And he answers, but not always the way that we think. But he shows us. Now, church, this is not a hoopla. This is not a run-around-the-building message. God's doing a deep work. In fact, he told me, he said, through this message and through everything that I'm going to do, I'm going to do a deep work where I'm going to do spiritual surgery and talk to people. Because there's a lot of people, even some sitting in this room, but in Christendom today, that think that when they come to Christ, that they can live the same way they were living in the world, and that is not the Bible. You think that you can live the way that you were living in the world, adding Jesus to what you are, but you cannot. The whole premise of being saved is that you've been saved from something. Yes, He saved us from death and He saved us from punishment, but He saved us and delivered us from our sins. Now, I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but... God brought Simon, the Cyrenian, into a deeper understanding of the cross and what it means in the gospel. On the Via Della Rosa, and I've been there in the, in the city of Jerusalem there in Israel uh, two times, and I've walked down that Via Della Rosa where it's the road going out of Jerusalem and the road coming into Jerusalem where Jesus carried that cross under His back And he walked to the outside of the city because we know that the sacrifice was made outside of the camp, as the Bible says. But on that Via Della Rosa, as Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross, as you heard in the song and we read here in the scripture, Simon was compelled to pick up that cross and carry it for Christ. That means a whole lot more than what we realize. He wasn't there just to help Jesus carry it to Mount Calvary, but there's a reason God is trying to say to us today through His Word what He means to say. I, I, I no doubt that a Roman soldier did go up to Him with his spear and said, pick up the cross because nobody Nobody wanted to pick up that cross. Nobody would have wanted to do that. That's the furthest thing that anybody would have wanted to do. In fact, Simon was probably thinking, no doubt, I came to celebrate the Passover. I came for the feast of the Passover, not to carry a bloody cross of a criminal. And even though Jesus, we know, was not a real criminal, he was treated like a criminal. He was tried like a criminal. And this is the real exhort of Christianity that we take up the cross. And this is what Jesus said. And I'm going to read it to you in Matthew 16, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I was reading this and I'm so moved by it. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. Some would say, what's blessed about that pastor? Well, first of all, I want to tell you, 
God wants to show us the blessedness of taking up a cross, taking up our cross, dying to ourself. Not a popular message. I'm not going to sell any CDs. I'm not going to win the awards for the most subscribers on podcast. I'm not going to get a bunch of views and comments, uh, you know, on Facebook. This is not going to be one of those that people are going to want to share, probably. But it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And if any man will come unto after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Some would say, "Is nothing blessed about that?" But there is. You must see the identification with Christ. Amen. The servant is not above his master. Did you hear me? The servant isn't above his master. Amen. To understand what I'm talking about, you've got to identify with Christ. We need identification to have revelation. We need identification for manifestation of spiritual life. In other words, we need to identify with Christ to understand what it means to take up your cross. And He begins to give you that, that revelation and then manifestation of God's Spirit and the power and the life comes through you as you begin to understand that. Listen, I'm going to hopefully be able to, uh, you know, expound on this a little bit, but the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians that the cross to the perishing is foolishness. To the world, the cross is foolishness to them. Why would anybody think of that as something that's positive? He said, but to us which are saved, to us which are saved, it is the power of God. There's power in the cross. There's power in the work of the cross. There's power, 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 wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. We, you know, most don't know the power of the cross and the relation to carrying it and the relation to dying to ourselves. When we take up our cross, we don't die for our sins. Listen, this is the most potent statement you're going to hear me say. When we take up our cross, we do not die for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. But we must die to our sins. And if there's one thing that Simon Serenian learned was this cross is a burden. This cross means death. This cross has taken me to a place where I am not my own, but I am under the control of another. And you and I must know that when we get saved, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore, but we belong to Jesus. Amen. What do you mean by that, Pastor? When he tells you don't take that drink, he means don't take that drink. When he says don't take that smoke, don't take that smoke. Are you hearing me? Those are just surface things. When he tells you you got to forgive somebody that you've hated, you have to forgive them. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Dying to yourself when you would say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I can do my own thing. I'm my own man. No, you're not when you come to Jesus. Newsflash. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Listen, I'm going to expound on this a little bit here. Because a lot of people don't understand. When we take up our cross, we don't die for our sins. Jesus did that. We die to them. We die to our flesh. We die to ourselves. The reason people always need deliverance after deliverance is because they've never died to themselves. The reason people are always needing deliverance is because they have not died to themselves. I'm going to tell you, I got before God and I said, Lord, I, 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 I'm going to stand before you and the reality of that is really sobering to me. And so 
I'm going to preach exactly what you tell me. Not that I haven't always preached exactly what God told me, but he said, you preach exactly what I tell you, whether they like it or not. And that, that set me free on Thursday night. That preacher's wife and Pastor Ben O'Kello's wife said, you, you want to make people happy, sell ice cream. But if you're going to preach the gospel, it's going to be a stumbling block of offense because it's going to exercise people to godliness. It's going to exercise them into a place of truth and godliness. And it's going to change your life. You're either going to get right or you're going to get left. You're either going to get on this train or you're going to be left behind. You can't tiptoe through the tulips. And everybody has to know that when we come to Christ, we die to ourselves. You don't live unto yourself. You live unto God. Listen, I'm preaching the truth to you. I'm preaching the truth to you. There's a reason for the anointing. Because people have died and Christ is living through them. Through a worship team, through preachers, through singers, through elders, through prayer warriors. I've always preached Isaiah 9 and 6 whenever he said that the government would be upon his shoulders. You know, I didn't read this in the first service, but I'm going to read it. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 I want to read it to you. Isaiah 9, 6, it says this. It says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Talking about Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But the government on his shoulders means something today, church. And I'm going to tell you what it means. The government of what, you would say? The government of the cross. The government of the laws of God. Jesus bore our sin, our punishment. He bore the law. In other words, He fulfilled the law. And we should have, He fulfilled the law that we should have fulfilled, but we broke it. He took our pain. He took our suffering. He took our torment. He took our hell. He took our penalty. And sealed an eternal contract covenant in His own blood. That's why the Bible says that we overcome the enemy, the devil, by the power, by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. The power in that blood. Because when you come under the blood of Jesus, you're washed away. All, all that sin is washed away, rather. Let me not get ahead of myself. But through that, whosoever that comes unto him or calls upon him, calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That means you and I are saved today. We can be saved. If we haven't been, we can be. And, 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 but whosoever calls upon him, that's how powerful the blood is, that it washes away sin. You know, somebody said, do you honestly think Jeffrey Dahmer got saved before he was murdered in jail or prison? I said, if he cried out to God and he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins, it doesn't matter the murders he committed. It doesn't matter the things that he committed. Yes, he was saved. If the Apostle Paul, who was the chief of sinners who murdered people, had them murdered in the Bible, even said, I was a murderer, the chief of sinners. If God can forgive him, he can forgive anybody. That's the power in the blood. But listen, nowhere do we receive salvation from sin through the blood to continue in that sin. God forbid. That's why we must bear that cross. Because it's an ever-present reminder. Amen. It's an ever-present reminder. We have to die to ourselves. He gives us the power to die and to live. You hear me? Did you hear me? He gives us the power to die and to live. Some people only preach you live. I'm going to tell you, you can't live until you've died. 
Come on now, you have to die first. There has to be a wound before there can ever be restoration. You have to be wounded with that sword before there can ever be any oil poured into that. You understand what I'm saying today? There has to be that piercing before there can ever be that, that, that healing balm of Gilead and that restoration and that recovery. And God will give you life. Anytime there's a death, there's always a resurrection. In the economy of God... But let me tell you, nowhere do we receive salvation from sin to continue in it. God forbid, Paul said, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid that you do that. The cross upon Jesus' shoulders, he bore that government. And we are governed by the cross. What is that government? He accomplished everything so we could be free. But he said, you come under that kingdom authority. You come under that, and part of that is dying to yourself. God has no rebels in His kingdom. There's no rebels in the kingdom of, well, I've seen a lot of rebels. I can tell you right now, they're fooling themselves. Because even Jesus said there's going to be those that are going to try to go up another way. They're not going to come through that narrow gate. They're going to go up another way and they're going to be like a thief and a robber. And God's going to say unto them, you know, you came in here without a wedding garment. You came up here and circumvented, you know, the truth and the way. But you're going to be sent back. Amen. We better know in whom we have believed. We better come the way, the truth, and the life. We better come the narrow way. Amen. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. And few be there that find it. Let's find him this morning as he finds us. Come on. But when we come under the government of the cross and we come under the government, the lordship, if you will, I'll make it simple. Jesus is Lord of our life. When he's Lord of my life, he lords and tells me what and what not to do. You know, a lot of people say, that's why I don't want to surrender my life to God because I want to do what I want to do. Well, let me tell you something. One day your choice is going to put you in a place that you wish it didn't. So you better make sure that you get your heart right with God now. You may not have tomorrow. It blessed me this morning to see Ralph's daughter, Julia, come. Amen. I saw her come up. She stood right here. The Spirit of God just touched her. I saw her begin to weep. I can tell you today God touched her in a way she's never experienced like that before. But he ministered to her. And sis, let me tell you something. This is just the beginning. Amen. This is just the beginning. Coming to know Christ. Receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. That's the God we serve. He's a God of love, yes. But He's a God that speaks straight to us. Amen. Oh, mighty God. And I'm grateful that He does. That I'm not still caught up in the entanglement of sin. Because all sin does is bring you under, under bondage and captivity and strongholds. You know, anxiety and depression and, and all those things, all those are just a fruit, an effect, if you will. I don't want to use fruit, but a work or a result, better yet. A result or a consequence of sin. You know, of sin. See, what happens is people, they, they, they go and they do their own thing. I'll just give you an example. They go, they drink, they have sex with somebody that they don't even know, and then they wonder why they get up the next day and they feel so ugly inside, and they feel oppression and depression and sadness, and they feel suicidal and all kinds of other things because that is a result of their sin. But Jesus came, and He come to tell you today, I died on that cross for that 
that sin and I died to break that. I died to free you and I died for you to understand I'm to come under that and I'm not in bondage because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But he said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, burdened down, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Don't think for one second that God hasn't put something on us as a yoke. Yes, but it's a yoke that's easy. It's easy to serve God. The devil makes it, makes it hard. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Because you don't understand the grace of God. Oh, some of you don't know what I'm talking about now, do you? Come on, God's talking to us this morning about dying to ourselves. I'm going to get to the Father's Day part here in just a second. But listen, we no longer live to ourselves. We're governed by God and we're governed by the power of the cross and what God has done in and through us. In Colossians 3, listen, he's trying to say this to us today. Colossians chapter 3, it says this. It says, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. A lot of people stop there, but Paul goes on and he says, so, mortify, bring to death, Put to death, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What are those, Pastor? Fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We know covetousness, what it is. A lot of people don't understand. They know what fornication is, but what do you mean by uncleanliness? Impure sexual thoughts. Impure sexual activity. I don't care if it's pornography or if you're entertaining thoughts in your mind. You can't see somebody walk across a crosswalk without your mind just going crazy and you feeling everything. You're a pervert. You need God to deliver you. Well, pastor, you know, I, I have eyeballs. I know. We all have eyeballs in our head. But Jesus said... If you look upon a woman or if you're looking upon a man and you're a woman or if you're a man looking upon a man or a woman looking upon a woman, he said if you look upon them and you lust after them in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. So put your eyes back in your head and he said walk purely. Beg God to give you a purity in your life and he will. Bring under subjection. Mortify, put to death, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection. That's affection for somebody that you shouldn't have. We had a woman at a church we went to that had an inordinate affection for another woman. I'll never forget the pastor. He said, you know what that is? Somebody said, that's idolatry. He said, no, it's called lesbianism. Get mad if you want. I'm just going to be straight with you. God's trying to set us free this morning. And an inordinate affection is an affection that you shouldn't have for somebody. It's sinful. There are people that sit in church, and I'm not saying this church, but they sit in church and they look across the, the aisle at somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband and say, man, I wish I had that. 
I don't even know why I'm here. I just started cutting the grass. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't enjoy it one bit. But it's got to be preached. It's got to be preached. I sat in that church with bitterness and unforgiveness, anger, hatred, victim mentality towards people that had hurt me. And I sat right behind, right behind that pole. This is exactly where I was at right here. Thank you, Jesus. Sitting back here, I said, oh, Pastor Duke, he can't see me. Amen. He got to preaching in that message, and I told Angela after we had been there Sunday morning, the way I'm preaching to you is a choir picnic compared to how we were preached to. And we needed it. I needed it. Bad. Amen. And here I am. I'm sitting here. I told Angela, we're going to go back Sunday night because I said, I want to see how many people don't go back. I said, anybody preach like that? I said, he, he just cleared the building. He just ran off 65% of his church. I went back, and there's the same five, 600 people there. I couldn't believe it. Here I'm sitting in the back. He said, he started in. He said, you need to forgive. He said, I don't care who. Well, first of all, I said, well, he don't know who hurt me. He said, I don't care who hurt you. I said, well, he doesn't know it was my, my dad, my pastor. He said, I don't care if it was your dad. I don't care if it was your pastor. I don't care who hurt you. You got to forgive him. And I said, well, I said, I won't forgive him. He said, you've said in your heart you won't forgive him. He said, go ahead and go to hell if you want to. I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, this pole is not hiding me. Well, I, in my pride, turned around in my seat when everybody else did because I didn't want anybody to know when Joe Lopez came over and began to pray for your pastor. Oh, my goodness. He just laid his hand on me. I wept and cried. That was the beginning of my death, dying to myself. Of course I was saved. Of course I was born again. But God was dealing with things in my life and saying, take up that cross. This is what it means to take up that cross. Because I can tell you, yes, he bore the burden of sin that you could not bear. But he wants you and I to know today that the burden that we are to bear is the burden that we have to bring this body, this life, this mind, this self, this under subjection and put it to death. Oh, I'll talk a little bit more here in just a minute, but hear me. What God is saying to us, let me finish the scripture. He said, For which things, after he talked about, in verse 5, mortifying all those things, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. Because see, there's external things, there's things that are the obvious, and then there's things that God goes deeper Put off these also. Anger. There's people that are angry inside and nobody really knows it, but you're angry. 
wrath, malice. Some people have great malice. God's trying to deal with it. Blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. There's some people who just soon climb up a tree and tell a lie, then tell the truth. They lie, 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 lie. They exaggerate. They embellish. They make stuff up. They assume. They jump to conclusions. They lie. Church, we need to stop lying. People need to quit lying. Tell the truth. Amen. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. A lot of folks do not realize Jesus did not command us to take up our cross because he wants us to be miserable, burden, squirm, and suffer. That is not God's heart. God is not morbid. God is not savage. But he has a principle. A spiritual principle he's trying to teach us. And what is that principle? It's found in John chapter 12, verse 24. And this is what it says. It says, Verily, verily, Jesus said, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die. It abides alone, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loveth this life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. What, where there's a death, there's always a resurrection. If the cross teaches us anything, it teaches death to ourselves means Christ lives. Right? It takes the focus off of ourselves. It deals a death blow and de- uh, to defeat and discouragement. The reason people get so discouraged and defeated is because, I can tell you, we don't have our eyes on Jesus. I've seen people, they come in, they shout, they praise God, whoo, in the front aisle. But as they get home and they got a $30 late fee on their bank account and they fall apart. Fall to pieces. They call it, Bazaar! And I'm like, what? Who died? You're not going to believe this. $30. And I thought, my goodness, I'd have given you 30 not to call me. <sighs> Doesn't mean I don't love you. What I'm trying to say to you is that people, come on, are we that fragile? That we, that some little dinky thing just knocks us out. The devil don't have to do much. Oh, boy. Every day, we must make a choice. Either Christ lives or I live. But we both can't. Either Christ lives or I live. But we both can't. I'm going to read a few scriptures to you and then I'm going to close. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. He said, Paul said, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then he said over in Galatians 5, 24, and he loaded that gospel gun and he said this, 
And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we walk, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. But let's be spiritual. The greatest scripture is Romans 12, 1 and 2, which he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were put to death. What he's saying is, I want you to be dead to yourself, but alive to Christ. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. My life, I'm living for Jesus, but it is, it is it dead to these things of the world and dead to myself. That's what God is talking to us about today. When, when Simon took that cross upon his back, he realized a lot of things. He realized a lot of things. And this is not a popular message, but it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Simon learned how much that it impacted his family. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And that day, it impacted not only Simon, but his whole family. And Paul mentions Simon in Romans chapter 16, verse 13. And I'm going to read it to you. Romans 16, 13, it says this. It said, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. In other words, what Paul was saying, salute Rufus. And you know, you had to be somebody for Paul to write you down in the Chronicles of the Word of God. And he was used by the Spirit of God to speak that. And what God is saying unto us is Simeon's life or Simon's life made, was made, was impacted so much by him picking up that cross that his own children that are recorded in the book of Mark, Alexander and Rufus, that was their father. In other in other words, if they were just boys that never did anything for God, they'd have never been mentioned. But he mentioned them. And then Paul says, Rufus, the only other time that name is ever mentioned. I have to believe that they're talking about the same man. He said, and greet his mother, salute his mother, who's also my mama. In other words, what he's saying is, these people love God and they love the people of God and they love the servants of God and they were recorded in the word of God. But I'm saying this to you today especially to you fathers listen to me the life that you live your children will emulate oh. the life you live your children will emulate they're watching you they're watching you you say, well, I, what about the kids that backside or this and that? I can tell you, if you will live for God, you watch. They will come back to the Lord. They will come back to Christ. He will draw them back unto himself. He's a God who restores. I know there's children that have gotten away. I know we all have our will. But church, let me tell you, you got a far greater shot. If, if Brothers, if you'll live before God and you'll show that this life is discipline. This life is brought under the cross. And when I say the cross, I come to that cross and I, I, I bear that cross in a sense and take it up to follow Jesus. I'm dead to myself and alive to God. If all they ever see you do is live for yourself, that's the way they're going to live. 
They're going to be people that are older that say, I believe in Jesus, but my greatest ambition in life is to have a house and a boat and everything I want in my life. When God said that the church, I can tell you, when he said that we're to, we're to focus upon heaven, we're to set our affections on things that are above, we're to seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. What God wants to add to you. But it's not all these things. That old license plate cover that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. No. You won't be boating in the lake of fire. Look, you can have things. I'm not saying you can't. I don't even think God's saying you can't. What he's saying is it can't become your God. It can't become your focus. It has to be him. We have to come under and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm following you. And my children, they're paying attention to everything. Years ago, when Angela and I went to Living Waters, I just told you the first service I was at, and that was the first service. And I thought, Lord, I do not want to go to church here. But I had no place else to go. I wasn't going to go down to the Baptist church. I wasn't going to go to the Methodist church. I wasn't going to go to Presbyterian. I certainly wasn't going to go anywhere else. And I said, this is my church. This is where I'm at for a season. I told Angela, we're just here till we find where God wants us to be. Well, that whole year of 1994, it was just hills and valleys. And I would get in that altar and I would say, God, that preacher's preaching to me. I got to die to myself. It seemed like every week. I got in that altar and I said, Lord, whatever. And I don't know what he's talking about because I don't see anything. But whatever I'm to die to, you help me. Mm -hmm. 1995 came around. Angela was pregnant with Kyle. He was due in March. And she was sicker than a dog in January. Actually, December, all through December. I don't know why I got the idea. We flew to Missouri, and she was already swelled up with toxemia and preeclampsia and all that stuff, being pregnant. She had poison in her system. That, that Her body just rejected being pregnant. It just was, it was something else. And I put her on a plane, and, and then everything just, you know, she just blew up like a tick. It was just unbelievable, but... Here we are, and we come back home, and I went to church, and, and it was Kathy Drake's aunt. She came up to me, and she said, Jonathan, I'm telling you, that woman is sick. And I said, well, she's pregnant. She goes, no, she's sick. I can see it all over her. She goes, you need to get her to a doctor, and, and you need to have them check her out. We'll come to find out she had all that going on. They put her in the hospital immediately. They said she could have a stroke like that. Well, Kyle was born. And he wasn't breathing when they brought him out. It's the most horrible feeling to be for me to Cameron and watch them, five people working on your baby. And his face blue. And they're tapping his feet trying to get him to breathe. Trying to get that balloon to get him to breathe. I just sat there. And they kept working on him. They ushered me out. And I went over into a hospital room. I fell over that bed and I cried. I cried like I never cried. I cried like somebody died. 
because somebody was dying. And it wasn't the baby, it was Jonathan. I laid over that bed and I said, God, I've, I've played games long enough. I can't do this anymore. I said, I've come to tell you that I place everything on the table. Here's all of my cards, God. I will have nothing behind me. Nothing, everything's right here. I said, if you'll heal that baby, I said, I'll serve you with fervency the remainder of my life. See, what you didn't know is before all of that happened, and I was at Living Waters, I thought I was all of that. I said, don't these people know who I am? Don't they know I'm the singer? Don't they know who I am? They wouldn't let me do nothing, hardly. They said, you get up there and sing backup. I thought, backup? It'd be like asking Coach Keynes to be the water boy. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Backup? Here I'm singing backup to the backup singers. All I know is I wanted number one position. And God said, I'm going to put you through a Gethsemane. And you're going to come out on the other side and you're not going to be the same person. That baby was born not living. Thank God they whisk him off in a helicopter to, to uh, wherever out there. Loma Linda. Angela was in the hospital. I couldn't even walk in the room and turn the light on. They said, you cannot disturb her because if she gets excited or anything, her blood pressure can go up until all this is out of her system. So here I am. I lost my job. They laid me off. I thought, you laid me off while I'm at the hospital with my wife having my son? You just laid me. I can't believe you laid me off. I'm sitting in my car in the hospital parking lot with a flat tire, and I kid you not, my spare was flat. I'm telling you the truth. I said, I'll change the tires. No, you can't. It's as flat as the one you've got. You talk about death. I died. You know where I was? I was on the floor. I wasn't even on the curb. I was a cigarette butt sitting on a cigarette butt in the gutter with my feet over. And I died. I died. I died. I died. I remember I was so broken for like three weeks, a month. I went into church. Pastor Duke come up to me. All I could do was cry. I said, Pastor, I don't even know what to say anymore. I've lost everything. Everything is just he said, oh, Jonathan, you're going through Gethsemane. But just remember on the other side is a resurrection. Things got better. I got another job. The baby came out of intensive care. Angela came home. Things began to look up a little bit. And I went in, and I would just sit in service. Pastor Jackie came up to me and she said, Jonathan, Pastor Duke wants you to lead worship on Wednesday. And I said, no, I don't want to. She said, why? 
I said, Jackie, I am so low. Ain't no false humility here. I'm so low. I can't even look up. She said, son, she goes, the greatest places of ministry are in our places of brokenness. Let God use you through that. And I said, I'll lead. I'll, I'll try. Robert Frias came up to me that same service, and he said, hey, I want you to go in the prisons with us. And I said, and do what? He said, bring your guitar and sing. That's all I want you to do. I said, I'm not worthy to go and do anything. He said, please just come. God opened those doors. And he said, I took you down to nothing. I had to empty all that stuff out of you first. And then I can use you when I pour myself in you. Except a corn of wheat die and fall to the ground. It'll never bring life. It'll never spring up. But if it dies, it will. There was great life that came in me, and, but especially in our example in the Word of God, which is our greatest example, of course, Christ. But here's Simon and his boys, probably 20, 30 years later, are ministering the Word of God. They're living for God. They're being named by the Apostle Paul. What a legacy. What a legacy. Church, you have no idea what coming under subjection and under the cross that he gives you and I to bear. That if we'll follow him, how much fruit will come from that? How much life will come from that? People will draw off of the life of God that came from your death, burial, and resurrection. Will you let it be said of you today? Amen. Father, today I thank you. I've done everything that I could know to do. We've seen you move in this service. We've seen the altar call. And God, right now I'm just asking you to minister to this congregation as we come to this close. There's somebody here today that's not right with you. Let them make things right today. Let them make things right today, Lord, I pray. Jesus. 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 Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, today. Lord, I ask you to draw by your Spirit, Lord, today, in the name of Jesus. Have thine own way, thine own perfect will and way today, Lord. If you're here in this house and you're not serving God, you're backslid, maybe. You're away from God. You say, I once walked with the Lord. I'm not where I need to be, Pastor. I've lived to myself. But this message has convicted me. God's talking to you today. That's what this altar is for, for you to come. Maybe there's something that was said that ministered to you. 